Life's a game, the world's a stage, and we are merely roleplayers. We're theatrical people, play roleplaying games. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Merely Roleplayers replay. I'm joined once again by uh, Merely Roleplayers storyteller, Matt. Hello. Hello. It's me. We've done three seasons now. We've covered ghostly spookiness, we've covered plucky determination, and we've covered uh, Wild West shooting, rooting, and tooting. <laughs> Anything surprising you so far? Um, no, because I think about this stuff quite a lot. <laughs> it's just constantly rattling around in your <laughs> yeah. brain. Well, let's, uh, without further ado, let's jump into season four. Let's get Gideon. A story of a high-daring art theft and of expert espionage action in which Dave slut drops onto a mobular telephone, Chris becomes a mobile blood salesman, Ellie perfects a flawless Brazilian accent, and Josh finds a dangerous situation filled with a certain... intensity? Uh, Season four! uh, Ellie, Dave, Josh, and Chris B. Really getting into the swing of things now, I think, in season four. Yeah, and I think our slash my... Uh, most overtly, it's political the right word? This one definitely has a message. It does. Like, it, this, it has a position that it takes. If ever you were trying to like subtly hide a message in earlier seasons, in this one you very much attached it to the front of a sledgehammer and took uh-huh. it through <laughs> to the, the podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah, the rich. Your, your dislike, absolutely, of, um, of rich people um, uh, taking and purchasing art and keeping it away from, yeah. from well, the masses. Like, d- dislike... Combined with fascination of how uh, uh, how weird the very rich are. Yes, they're, when they're totally divorced from the way normal people live, they're very divorced from reality. It's it's mm-hmm. how they affect other people. Like yeah. if they can live their life in a certain way, that's weird. You're like, okay, but when they try to affect everybody else and the very culture, the very ethos of whole nations, that's when there's a problem. Which sounds very highfalutin, but this is also a very silly. Production. It was really nice. It really combines quite nicely how big and grandiose and sort of at times political and moral the ideas are versus oh this is silly they're driving on caricature can be political. A hundred percent it can be. I do wonder if so. This was recorded way back in I think spring of twenty eighteen. Sounds about right. Round about right. Yep. I do wonder if we had recorded it now, how different it would be. <laughs> I imagine Gideon Gilchrist would be going to Mars, <laughs> yeah. or would be I don't know doing. Oh, it. he'd be. I, I've thought about this. Like this is the this is the production that like comes to mind most often when I read about current affairs. You think is about it, what would Gideon have it done feel, right now? Yeah, I think I think it's our most prescient season. Um, by which I mean Gideon Gilchrist would definitely be into NFTs. 100% he would be. He would buy absolutely every one of them. Your mark's name is Gideon Gilchrist. Gideon is super rich, natch, inherited billionaire. The thing with Gideon is he he wants to be seen as a sophisticate and as a patron of the arts. Uh, And... In that vein, he runs, he manages a charity called the Gilchrist Grant, uh, which gives pretty generous donations to uh, creators of art, arts organisations, theatre companies, uh, transmedia sort of organisations, uh, all any any kinds of uh, art that he he likes. The thing is uh, that it came out in the Panama Papers that. He's also a big-time tax evader, avoider, whichever one is the one where you use the loopholes. Where it's legal. Yeah, where the law can't touch him. 
let's crack on then. So the return, uh, of course, of Ellie um, uh, from uh, now her fourth season. Uh, Dave's second season, having yeah. caused chaos um, in uh, Five Stage of Rescue. Um, the first game of Chris Buxy, another Chris to add to the roster. <laughs> um, Filling out the ranks until we had enough. Yes, yes, that is true. Did Chris go to Royal Holloway? Uh, no, he did not. He is the first to break away to uh, the first non-member yeah. of the um, the Royal Holloway Mafia. Yep. Um, to bust through, and his first yeah. game with us. Yeah, he is married to someone who went to Royal Holloway. That is true. So That's there the is connection. connection. Six degrees of separation <laughs> and all that. Um, how was it working with Chris? Uh, really good, um, and he has a very creative mind. <laughs> And yes. very creative solutions to problems. Yes. Are you thinking about that very first scene where he was introduced as Dr. Hugo Clara? And so, yeah. He right. monologued for five yeah. minutes, <laughs> out, absolutely out of this world, and came up with our entire our entire spiel, our entire purpose for being, based Just off his off, his off the cuff. Amazing. Brilliant. Really, really spectacular. Has he done a lot of role-playing games before? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I know he's... I don't actually even know if he is a big wargamer. I know he is a big wargames miniature painter. Yes, he is a and fabulous cust- customizer. Fabulous painter. Um, I'm not 100% sure how much he's done in terms of role playing games. True. I get the vibe that he's a board gamer, maybe a Magic the Gathering player. <laughs> this is all subjective, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But anyway, he fit in really, really nicely. Yeah. Something that will come up later on is that Chris had to leave mm. quite soon because he had to take a, um, a train out of London where yeah. we were recording. So we were on a bit of a time scale. We were. So, yes, which is why if you if you listen back to the season, you'll notice he's not in the post-show discussion. You just thought he was being quiet and we were <laughs> cutting everything out. But he said, no, he had to leave. But no, great addition. And it was my first time with the podcast. Really sorry about that. <laughs> You're an excellent player as well. Josh. Oh, thank I you. I won't embarrass you by please, listing no, your great qualities. No, keep it face. coming. Every great quality. <laughs> um, all I'm going to say is I was very nervous to join mm-hmm. um, because I was very aware that you guys had done three seasons and had listened to three seasons and was very impressed and was aware I was coming into a, a, a pre-established um, world that you'd all created. Um, I had no reason to be nervous. I've played role-playing games before. I know all of you guys. I'm also a member of the Royal Holloway Mafia. Um, so uh, I had no reason to be, but um, it was great. You made me feel right at home. And you some incredibly memorable moments mm. that you uh, were a key part of. Yes, we will come to those eventually. But yeah, a, a very, a very as we've said, a very silly season with a real strong right on message (laughs) let's dive into the nitty-gritty of it um we're playing with a very similar system to before Mm -hmm. again we have four stats yeah it was brains wiles cool and muscle just wonderful just wonderful um where you come up with these with these words and and with with these um stats it just it's so evocative and you you were always able to find a way to make us roll for one of those yeah i was trying to remember i think one of the possibilities I had for this one was that it was like that was it it was head fists fingers and feet was another possibility okay. that I had yeah and thinking, ha- thinking ha- about like roles in a heist sure it's like head is more of the mastermind stuff yeah fingers is like the yeah. pickpockety lock picking yeah fists is the muscle and then yeah. feet is like the fast person who has to like run around in a cat suit okay and understandably you decided to change the lingo because you didn't want to ask the members of this group to roll for fingers or for fists <laughs> kind of about that and uh-huh. also because those stats kind of each represented a role rather than like mm. 
a quality that characters in these stories have. Yes, indeed. Um, and I think uh, I certainly remember that everybody was quite well split in terms of what they were what they were given. Like we had a, a brainy person, we had a muscle person, we had a wily person, we had a cool person. None of it mattered in the end because there were some moments of real, real spectacular <laughs> failure in terms of the roles that we that we did. Were there any new mechanics that you brought through? There, so this is the uh, the production where I had become aware of Blades in the Dark. Woohoo! Shout out to John Harper's Blades in the Dark, a wonderful RPG system. Yeah, another one. Um, sort of born out of Powered by the Apocalypse, but has since spawned its own set of derivative games um, under the Forged in the Dark label. I don't think I'd actually played it or read it at that point. Um, but what I was aware of was the flashback mechanic, mm. the idea that you play people on a heist, um, but you don't spend loads of time planning out the heist in, in exhaustive detail before you start. You start in media res like you might in a movie or in an episode of Leverage. And uh, when you hit an obstacle, you can flashback and retcon and say, well, I already prepared for this. Mm. We already had something in place. I've got something in my bag or we have an inside man or mm. something like that. So I wanted to build something like that in. Mm. The idea, the design intention behind that, of course, was to make things quick yeah. and to make sure that players weren't being stuck in planning the minutiae of every possible outcome. It allowed you as a games master to say, right, we know what we're doing. We're going to rob this bank. Great. Scene one, you're standing outside the bank. What do you do? Yeah. At any time there's an obstacle, like Matt says, the front door's guarded. There's a yeah, there's a big safe, whatever you could potentially roll yeah. to flashback and um, overcome the obstacle. Yeah. And stuff like that that is designed to make stuff fast. I feel like also makes stuff good for an audience. Mm -hmm. um, like the audience don't want to hear us meticulously plan out the heist and then start doing it and it, the plan goes out the window at the first hurdle. Mm -hmm. um, you want that twisty turning narrative experience of starting in the middle of things and then chopping back and forward and having unexpected revelations mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I did make it a role in this one. So we have this re reveal an ace up your sleeve role that you can make when you retcon a new element into the plan. Um, and if you roll 10 plus, then, yep, that was part of the plan all along. Mm. Um, on a 7 plus, you did account for it in the plan, but there's a new catch. Like, yes, you did prepare for the passcode lock, but the codes have been changed mm. since yesterday. And then on a 6 or below, you crucially, you still did plan for this. Like, there's no result of the roll that undoes the retcon. But on a 6 or below the thing that you plan for, like your own planning backfires on you. Mm. Did you um, write all these out so that you're sort of saving yourself after having to come up with a, uh, a bad thing that happens in the future? When you're sorry, when you're running the system. So sorry, I've explained that really badly. Um, so uh, usually, if you're rolling and somebody does a mixed success, it's up to you as a games master in the moment to come up with an idea of oh, uh, the gun jams. Oh, the if someone arrives. Is you writing it down early, sort of relieving yourself of a bit of work so that everybody knows the stakes early on? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Um, having those kind of defined outcomes for how the moves work. I think this was the first time I actually kind of wrote basic moves mm. for the system. Because what it meant is we could look in advance mm. and say, oh, is it worth the risk? If I roll yeah. badly, something bad is going to happen and it's defined early on. Yeah, I think I must have actually read a published Powered by the Apocalypse game by this point. Mm which would probably have been Impulse Drive, 
or might have been, <clears throat> I might have read like the basic moves handout from Apocalypse World, but not the actual rule book. Mm-hmm. So I knew what a move looked like when sure. written down. Yeah. So I wrote the, wrote them for this one. But yes, it's it's good to have something a bit more defined and for everybody to be on the same page mm-hmm. about when I roll this, I know that these this is the range of outcomes. And it's not totally specific because like it's accounted for in the plan, but there's a catch, still has a lot of wiggle room in it. Yeah. But you know kind of roughly what the outcome is for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it allows you freedom, but also gives you a heads up before anything bad happens. Yeah. So for example, had there been a, a an ability called Pistol Whip in, um, <laughs> in a town called Amnesty, maybe Strat might not have used it if he knew that the bad result was caving somebody's skull in. Maybe. Shout out there to yeah. season three again. We can't <laughs> quite get over it. Um, and, and another mechanic that this one had, which didn't actually come up in play in the end, was that the the plan has a harm or a stress track. So one possible outcome of a six or below on any move was that the plan takes harm, mm. um, representing like enough stuff going wrong that the whole edifice, the whole house of cards can come tumbling down. Mm-hmm. So if the plan had taken five harm, then you would have been found out, like guards come, um, your disguises have been seen through, it was a sting all along, and you all then. And then we sort of cut forward to you all in jail, and see where the story goes from there. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't end up happening because there was n- it in the end. There was no role where damaging the plan was the most interesting fail outcome. Sure. But there was always it was always more interesting to have something happen in the moment. You wanted a consequence immediately that we could see th- than to say. Okay, you don't quite do this, but in the background, the plan. Yeah, because presumably you wouldn't have told us what the negative outcome was if it was in the future, right? If it was affecting. I think I did. Ta- I think I did set out when we, but like off air before we started, like mm. this is a possible thing because we had a card in the center of the table with the plan's stress track on it. So I think I did explain what that was. Mm. But you wouldn't but, necessarily have said, oh, you roll badly. Yeah. Ah, well, when we come to do the score, there'll yeah. be more guards. You want to keep it a surprise, don't you? Yeah. Which in the moment isn't as exciting as finding out, Yeah. oh, Gideon suddenly appeared and he's taken away your exactly. taser. Yeah, yeah it's which... more dramatic to have something happen now than yeah. to have something possibly happen later. Mm-hmm. 100%. Let's talk about the setting then. So uh, back to modern day. Yep. The idea of us being a theatre company were a bit more ingrained. Yeah. Because in the storyline, I think one of the possible avenues was we were going to try and put on a theatre show in Gilchrist Towers and swipe his stuff while we're on the show. You are are a theatre company, but the performances that you put on are covers for your heists. Yes. There are a reason for you to be in town, Mm -hmm. to be in a particular building or whatever. So the association with the Blackshaw Theatre was a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we're back in modern day, mm-hmm. so it's a bit easier for us to imagine how we would react in certain situations, yep. as it turns out pretty badly for some of us, <laughs> myself included. But at the same time, you allowed us to do our backstory roles mm-hmm. again. If you go back and listen to the backstage episodes, you'll hear it's ordered slightly different this time in the backstage episodes. You don't do one episode for Ellie, one episode for Dave. Mm-hmm. It's about the crew. Yeah. And so we're almost rolling for the crew as a character, as an entity, as a gang, uh, you know, as, as a gang. That was good. I loved rolling, you know, uh, rolling to figure out what your relationship is. That's always just such a wonderful way of establishing backstory and allowing creativity. We were, I was in the stride with like the bits of the 
system that were working at that mm. point. So like that had worked so well in Amnesty, yeah, it really, that did. it was a no brainer to do it again. Yeah, and just just change the prompts to be more heist appropriate. I think as well while we were doing that with our creativity, we were even making new characters. Yeah. We were coming up with new characters, even if you didn't ask for <laughs> yes. us. So I think one Dave and I decided we went to the same mm. heist school. Mm. And we established that there was, uh, you know, a stuffy dean headmaster in charge called Rufus somebody oh, yes. who never came into fruition. Didn't matter. But <laughs> while we were playing, all I could think about was about Rufus and the fact that Dave and I were naughty school children. <laughs> and you certainly had an idea of the mark, mm-hmm. Gideon Gilchrist, yeah. our target. Uh, you had an idea of locations. You had an idea of potential obstacles. How much freedom truly were we given? Uh, Could we have approached it in any way? Yeah, tons. This was the one, this was the season where I was like, I am taking my hands off the wheel. Because <laughs> um, I think, like, like I came up with, like, you are a theatre company that does heists. I came up with a name for the mark and, like, a general disposition and, like, what enough about him to make you want to rob him, basically. Mm-hmm. And Which then, you did very well, by the <laughs> way. We all immediately hated him. <laughs> um, but then, oh, I, I did come up with his supporting cast as well. So there were like Maxine yeah. McQuaid and some of the, the Ugh, other, other folks. <laughs> um, um, but in terms of like, so I, I was just looking back through my notes and I had some notes about like his his vault and things like that, but did not use any of them because we came up with that free, the idea of him having stuff in a free port, which was much better. So we did that instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had said, kind of promised myself beforehand, like, however they want to do the heist, that's how they get to do it. I'm not railroading any part of that. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess if you're going to encourage creativity, you need to follow that through all the way to the story. Yeah. In the same way you had done for Amnesty. You created yeah. a problem and your players were able to come up with a creative solution. Yeah. And if you've got a move, like the key basic move of retcon something in that you planned earlier that we have never heard of before like i can't be controlling and hands-on mm-hmm. when that is a possibility yeah that's good so i was just like well, i am just going to be light touch and just sort of generally guide rather than mm-hmm. steer for this one dave dave <laughs> try and snatch the phone from her hand with your clenched butt cheeks <laughs> <laughs> okay i do a Perfectly well, hopefully perfectly executed slut drop onto the phone. Nice. Oh, jeez. <laughs> nice. And clench. <laughs> Please roll muscle. That's our first muscle roll. Okay. muscle. <laughs> uh oh. That's uh, six altogether. Saggy bum. <laughs> so, all you managed to achieve is to. Uh, like knock the phone back into her clutch, uh, out of your out of your reach, mm-hmm. um, and and she says, "Oh, oh, that's that's such a vulgar move. Oh no, I don't, I don't think I do want to take this any further, darling. I mm. think, I think, I think this is where we're going to have to part ways." As previously mentioned, though, there was one sort of roadblock in terms of. How we how how much control you had over everything, and that was we were on a time limit. Yes, which I'm getting good at this. Segues nicely <laughs> into a question from Ellie. 
Hello, Matt. It's Ellie from Let's Get Gideon and other series of Millie Roleplayers. Uh, we were on quite a time limit with recording this one, particularly towards the end. Did that add pressure to you to wrap up the story? And did it mean that we missed a lot of your lovely pre-planned content? Uh, more generally, do we often just run roughshod over planned content? And how do you deal with that? Excellent question. Your response? Um, yes, obviously it, it put pressure on. I think it was the first time I'd had to run a game under those kinds of circumstances. But I think it was just about... So one of the things that we did in that production that we have sort of fallen out of the habit of doing, probably because we don't really need it as a crutch anymore, was like explicitly framing scenes and saying, okay, what is this scene going to be? Where is it set? What is your goal for it? So that we had a clear idea of when the scene would be over. And that helped with the pacing because we could, in those kind of discussions in between scenes, I could be constantly checking in and saying, we're getting near the end now, so this needs to be climactic. Mm -hmm. Like This can't just be a a gathering information scene anymore. Mm -hmm. We have to be doing the heist now, please. Mm -hmm. You're sort of shooing us along and trying to get us in the right direction. Not necessarily pointing us down a path, but making sure that we get to our path quickly. Yeah, like giving you the hint, the the, um, milestones and signposts of this is where we are in the story now, but then still turning it back over to you to say, okay, so what is the scene? Where does the scene take place? What are you Mm. trying to achieve with it? Yeah. And I guess that works nicely with the way that Blades in the Dark works, Mm. where you can instantly, you know, snap your fingers and we're there. Yeah. I'm thinking about the final scene of the drive-by theft, the chase, chasing the armoured car with the police cars either side. Um, You were able to say, right, we're there. What are you all doing? Yeah. We're on the road. You're you're in media. You're already going 50 miles an hour down the motorway. (laughs) What happens next? Um, Because otherwise, had we had more time, and maybe if we were a bit more inexperienced, we would have had a scene where Dave and I had to heist a motorbike and we had to get a fake police ID for Ellie and for Chris, and it would have just taken a little longer. Whereas this way, you can say, snap your fingers and say, hey, we've bypassed all that. Off you go. What's cool? Yeah. Will you fuck this up? Which fortunately we didn't too badly. So, um, <laughs> you, you pulled it off to a certain value of, of that. <laughs> we did. I feel I don't know whether or not it's because I was in it, but I remember this as being more of like a high success, high failure. Yeah. I don't ever really remember rolling mixed success. I think <laughs> I was just good or really very bad. <laughs> and it was just it's the heroic final retcon from Chris that yes. when it seems that all is lost. Yeah. You know, the, the classic heist twist of everything seems lost, but it was part of the plan all along. Alan was in with us the <laughs> yeah. entire time. Oh, Alan No More. Alan No More. That was his name. Yeah, fabulous name. As you pull to a stop at the rendezvous, instead of the team waiting there, <laughs> knocking on the window, is Alan No More. He gestures for you to wind yeah. down the window. Uh, hello? <laughs> Dr. Uh, Dr. Claret, was it? Dr. Uh, Hugo Claret. Oh, uh, yes, that's me. <laughs> you and I need to have a little word. Yes, I <laughs> I think we probably do. But can we uh, can we reschedule for another day? I'm a bit busy right now. I want this to be part of the plan. I'm a bit busy right now. I want this to be part of the plan. Anybody who wants to can try and make this part of the plan. So what I want is for us to have been working with Alan all along mm-hmm. to catch um, 
nasty man Gideon in his weird blood practices mm-hmm. the whole time he's turning a blind eye to us thieving the art Roll. in order for mm-hmm. him brains. to get the mm-hmm. evidence seven eight you get what you want yeah Alan was part of the plan all along um, but there's there's some sort of catch mm-hmm. he wants something from you do you want a cut or there's somebody in the team that he wants to put away <gasps> and you're going to have to sacrifice someone no Okay, why? Who? For how long? Well, it's up to Ellie, surely. Maybe it's that he wants me to go to prison because when I perpetrated revenge upon Lulu Bagoo for hurting Josh, what I what I did is I punched her in the face a lot. Um, and it, it, he's he's her uncle, and he had to pay for her nose job. Oh, oh. Alan, no more so Bagoo. <laughs> he wants me to go away for her assault. Speaking of names, segue. God, I am getting good at this. Speaking of names and um, and characters, you've already spoken a bit about the, the the characters that you've created. There are less characters than in Amnesty that you've made up, less NPCs, but they're very memorable yeah. and they're really weird. <laughs> the weirdest ones, I mean, Maxine turned out weird, but Did, the, uh, yeah, the very what... weirdest ones are the ones that we made up on the day rather than the ones I. Correct. Out. We'll come to them in a moment. <laughs> Don't you worry. So Gideon, we established was some form of vampire, or at least was using the blood of younger people and transfusing it into his own body. Shout out to our, our friend Peter Thiel, the CEO of PayPal. There we go. Um, and then Maxine, who seemed normal. <laughs> and then, I remember this so vividly, she went on a date with Dave. We'll come to what Dave does on that date eventually, I'm sure. She goes on a date with Dave. Or no, it's when he first meets and she strokes his face because he says something along the lines, oh, feel my young face. Yeah. I, I, I use blood transfusions. I'm amazing. You know, feel my face. And then you said she looked at her hand and licked it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just in the moment, I was like, what's, the, what's a creepy thing she could do? I wink at Maxine and I walk in just so that she knows that I, uh, I'm back. She licks her palm. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, gentlemen, welcome. Uh, I'm so glad that you could meet me on short notice. I'm sure you mm. you understand uh, how important discretion is for my for my profession. Mm, absolutely, I do. And well, thank you again for your time. I know your time is valuable, and obviously ours is as well. But um, we want to move this forward. Um, we're very keen to start meeting with your clients. So uh, here with me today is uh, Alan No More, as you will recognise. All right, nice to meet you. <laughs> Alan and I go way back, don't we, Alan? Oh, yes, that's right. We met when uh, this young man here came and stayed on my farm. And uh, before I decided to move out of agriculture <laughs> and into pharmaceuticals. Yes, it was a regular farm, not a blood farm. It's a, yes. it's a, pleasure, <laughs> it's a pleasure to make your acquaintance. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that, uh, that we'll be working together rather than at cross purposes. But you also described her hands as being really papery and really (laughs) white and almost see-through. And that was the most disturbing thing I think I've heard. So here's a behind-the-scenes thing that we haven't talked about yet, (laughs) is that originally one concept that I had for the Blackshaw Saga productions was that there would be something in it other than Errol, there would be something in each production kind of escalating as we went through them where other genres started to bleed in. Like a suggestion that the like the worlds, the timelines are melding. Mm-hmm. So I had this idea that the like a, a wireless in uh, the saloon in a town called Amnesty would start playing MIA mm. or something like that. So I think there was probably a point where 
Gideon and or Maxine probably actually was a vampire. Mm. But then I decided against having that kind of explicit stuff coming in because it seemed like it would overcomplicate things. Mm. Like it would, what I would, I envisioned it as like a small hint and something that would be skated over Mm. um, and would be something like Easter eggs for the audience to start picking up on. But in reality, in a role-playing game scenario, Something like that that's very out of place is something that the characters would, the players would super zero in on. Mm. And that would be the thing that they want to investigate. And then we'd lose the actual story that we were telling. That's fair enough. So I decided against doing that. But I think bits of it you can kind of see maybe bleeding through. Gideon and Maxine definitely stepped through some sort of portal from some dark gothic fantasy world. Because if we had higher vampires in the real world, they would definitely be CEOs and they would oh, yeah. definitely harvest people's blood. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, go, go on, go on, Maxine. Let it. Let the poor boy take a take a selfie. Poor oh, boy. Fifty-four. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't look it. Don't look it. Uh, like a poor boy, like a street urchin. Yeah. Uh, you certainly you can. Uh, why not? But uh, but I, I'm afraid. Uh, if you do that, I am going to have to. Uh, impound your 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 mo- mobile telephone telephone for for a certain for we're going to have to embargo it for a length of time. Oh uh, yeah, sure. we, we will hold on to it. You won't be able to. We'll have to confiscate it for a certain period. Yeah, uh, Maxine, well, that's entirely I'm just looking for those photos of me in the nude. I know yeah. you're after Maxine. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure, Maxine, you will find something that you quite like on that phone. (laughs) (laughs) Maxine does have an aneurysm. No, Errol. I forgot about Errol this series. You forgot about Errol until the very end. I haven't. I had a note within my notes that he would probably be working, like as a waiter or something similar Mm -hmm. in in Gideon's kitchens. I think we decided at the very end that one of the donors yeah. um, was called Gideon. Uh, was called um, Errol. Yeah, was we Errol. found a way because I remembered. I, I didn't remember during recording, but I did remember like while we were still at the table with the recording equipment set up. Mm. So it wasn't too late to do a little epilogue that brought him in. You did post credits scene. Yeah, but you know it was a function of it being so breakneck mm-hmm. and having a time limit on us and that kind of stuff that yeah. that fell out of my brain. It must have been something about this season. It almost felt like a one-off or a spin-off type thing because, as Ellie mentioned during the season, it's the first time that Tilly the cat hadn't appeared. Yeah. She had appeared in the last three seasons as well. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's probably probably for the best. That's far too dangerous a place for a cat to be running around. <laughs> Let's move on to some of the other characters that were introduced in this season. Mm-hmm. This is the first time that you really, really allowed us the creativity to name and create mm-hmm. characters yep. I've mentioned Rufus the schoolmaster that Dave and I came up with who didn't feature he was more of a yeah, historical character you allowed us probably foolishly to come up with characters and more importantly their names so we had Chuck Banhoff yep. um, the head of security at the Freeport obviously um, but there was one character uh, whose name Ellie came up with almost instantaneously and goes down in folklore and merely <laughs> role players you know who I'm talking about 
I believe we're talking about uh, the the never spelled the same way twice, Lulu Bagoo. Lulu Bagoo, the um, Copacabana showgirl. Um, <laughs> from your backstory, though. From my backstory. Na- named by Ellie, but originated by Originally Josh. my ex-girlfriend, who came back to haunt me in Deja Vu, but yep. we will discuss that later. Um, was it... Was it a conscientious decision to allow us the rights to name characters? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Well, was it just you were knackered after doing all the characters <laughs> from Amnesty and you're no, like, I'm not naming any more characters now. <laughs> maybe, maybe subconsciously, partly. But no, it was all part and parcel of, of wanting it to be a collaborative story that we're telling rather than you all running through the, the little um, box set that I've made for you. Mm. You know, it's the, the world is yours as much as mine. Mm. That was the philosophy I, I had adopted by that point and letting you come up with a name characters yourself for me to then run with. You're all <laughs> part of that. It does mean, however, that you've then got to deal with the consequences of our actions and you've got to work in a showgirl called Lulu Bagoo into your very serious story at some point. <laughs> That's the joy of GMing, though. That's fair. That's fair. Was there anything that was missed out? Do you have any like regrets? Were there any plot strings that weren't quite taken? Zero regrets. Okay. But there is stuff that I had in my back pocket that didn't need to be used in the end. Like I say, I don't regret that we didn't need it because I think the story we told was great. Um, but in case I needed it, either if the plan fell apart or if there was just a cascade of terrible roles, I did have the notion that a potential twist in the story could be that Gideon knows and Blackshaw Theatre slash Heist Company's actions have drawn the attention of the small, tightly knit, hyper-rich community and that uh, Gideon is a honeypot Ooh. set up to sting you no. and get you caught. So we didn't need that as a plot thread in the end and definitely couldn't have fit it in in the time limit that we had. But if around like end of Act 1 kind of time you'd had lots of terrible roles and totally fallen, out, fallen flat and your masts had fallen off and it was very clear to everybody that a heist was going on, then we could have had that turn around and have the twist of, ha ha, mm. we were playing you all along and then see how you get out of mm. that one. See how you then retcon it again to turn it around a second time. That would have been a real gut punch if you'd ended our season <laughs> on that and you were just like, you all go to jail, that's the end, screw you, I win. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have had to do another one then. We would have had to do, let's get out of jail and then get yeah. <laughs> He'd have been a real antagonist then he would have been yeah 100% so the grand finale of this season was a highway chase a convoy heist an armoured police van flanked by uh, a police car and a pair of um, motorcyclists uh, being pursued by myself and Dave in a motorbike and sidecar (laughs) uh, and Chris and Ellie in a um, in another police car Huge epic sprawling, shooting and driving into people and stunts. Huge stunts, handbrake turns, the whole the whole shebang. That's a big action ending. To me, it almost felt like entering into combat in combat uh-huh. games. It was almost like we'd all rolled initiative and we were all just waiting there to do to do our turns <laughs> as we were all, you know, taking it in turns to do our various manoeuvres. Um, do you find it's easier to run big action set pieces like that? versus like more in, uh, intimate conversations? 
I think I do actually, yeah, because I'm only having to handle like environment stuff and action and what's happening. The the biggest challenge is always when it's like a, a two hander, like a, a player character and a supporting character. And um, like I've mentioned before, especially when the supporting character has something to hide mm. that you're trying to tease out or is you know being two faced. Weirdly, that kind of scene puts a bigger cognitive load on me than keeping track of you know six police cars and some and a motorbike and an armored van mm. um, because well, we can move through that quite quickly. And it's just about what do you do, what is mm. the consequence of the yeah. action. Yeah. Uh, where are the pieces going? Usually it's easier to find a consequence because the action yeah. that's being described is so bonkers or yeah. it's, you know, um, very daring. Yeah, you don't it, have to worry about emotional truth. No, absolutely. <laughs> and ultimately, in a big action set piece, there can always be a helicopter that crashes. There can always be somebody with a bazooka <laughs> that appears. There can always be somebody, something that happens in that yeah. sort of environment. I mean, don't rule that out in an emotional two-hander either. Chand- that's true. Chandler said it. You can always have men with guns burst in and work out why they're there later. Yep, that's a, that's a very, very good point indeed. So this season, as I've said before, had its highlights and its lowlights. <laughs> Let's ignore the bad things that happened. What were your personal highlights from this season? I mean, sitting here opposite you, Josh, I can't uh, fail to mention the uh, simmering tension between Chuck Banhoff and uh, your alter ego, Max Wiles. That was fun. Yep, came out of nowhere. Didn't expect it. Genuinely didn't mean to do that. <laughs> and yet somehow I realised in my voice that it was quite sexually charged. We accidentally both did uh, Will Arnett voices. We, we accidentally turned into Will Arnett and Alec Baldwin in uh, 30 Rock, we flirting did. through the medium of getting more and more gravelly. Yes, I remember that. And I also remember as we were talking, the looks on the faces of Chris and Ellie and Dave, who had realised what was going on, and yet we hadn't realised, and they were heads in hands and trying not to laugh. (laughs) Yeah, it was a beautiful moment. It was was a wonderful moment. And it gave gave me, uh, as as many things in these early seasons did, it gave me something to bring back in Deja Vu later. It's true, it's true. It meant you got to look back at some... uh, truly wonderful moments and implement them later on yeah mm. and you know Errol is one way that I do it and I try and bring it in with other sporting characters sometimes I want queer rap in my podcast 100% you should do 100%. I'm, I'm a bi man we need more bi men in in things generally we're very underrepresented good point good point we'll try and bring more of that in <laughs> persuade me I want to, like I w- being punctual is not enough to, to get your extra access I want to prove boss Mr. Banoff that what I can do is I can fight amongst the big fish, that I can swim amongst the champion boxes, that what I can do is I can look after what is uh, most important. I've seen the other guys more heavily armoured. They've got bigger flashlights than me. They've got more, more powerful tasers. I want to be them. I want to be in the elite force, sir. I want, I want to guard what is most most important here. I want to prove yourself to me. I can't just be wandering. I'm not a guard dog. I'm not a, I'm not a security, security mook. I'm, I'm better than that, sir. And I can prove to you that Max Wiles can do that. Roll Wiles, Max Wiles. <laughs> I thought it was wild. But no. uh, that's a ten total. He sees a passion and a zest for life in my heart. He perhaps sees that with my uh, immersive backstory that I've provided for him, uh, that he knows that uh, just wandering around, although the money is good, I'm sure, is not exactly what I want to be doing. And Wiles, I want... Wiles, 
I ain't never seen anyone with this kind of passion for security work. <laughs> sir, thank you, sir. And I do a little this, bow. <laughs> this, this job, it, it, it does not attract people with this kind of... This kind of Intensity, sir. <laughs> that's the word. That's the word I was reaching for. People, people think that this, this outfit's full of, uh, full of uh, washouts from the police force. Pa. But I can see that for you, this is a vocation. This is my calling, sir. Wiles, you've convinced me you're ready for the big leagues. Yes, sir. Send me. Send me to the vault. It's a bit sexy. <laughs> you know what, Wiles? You proved yourself. I'm up in your security clearance here and now. I got time on my docket. You got time on your docket. It's time for the induction. Sir, <gasps> let's complete the induction. It's what I've dreamt of since I started here. Okay, Matt. It's that time. Let's see whether or not you can get Gideon. It's time for Matt's Stats, Season 4. What's it called? It's called Matt Gets Gideon. Matt Gets Gideon. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's the best I could come up with. Um, so our stats. Um, brains, wiles, cool, and muscle. Brains and muscle, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they are what they say on the tin. Yeah. Tell us about wiles and cool. So cool is about keeping your head under pressure. Whereas Wiles is about outwitting people and mm. think, thinking in circles around your quarry. Yeah. So cool as well is about reacting well in a bad situation. Yes. So if you were to roll badly for cool, and if you're being questioned, you either break down under pressure or you run away or they arrest you or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you break cover and let something slip, perhaps. Okay, okay, fine. Uh, so those are the stats. What do you... Firstly, how do you think you would have got on in our team? I I think based on my uh, experience of uh, I now have experience playing Blades in the Dark. I think I would have um, stretched what it's possible to retcon. <laughs> <laughs> the very first time I played Blades in the Dark, I think was a, a one shot convention game, and I used a high stress flashback to have um, put an EMP in a train. Wow! I think. Which involved having like broken into the train yard under cover of darkness two nights previously, yeah. that kind of stuff. And it was just like, I was still figuring out the limits of the system and it was just asking the GM, can I have done this? Mm. And normally the GM in that game will just shrug and say, yeah. roll for it. Yeah. It's going to cost roll, me a lot of stress. Yeah, roll for it. I'll take more stress. I can imagine, yeah, you would have ultimately retconned that entire car chase sequence <laughs> at the end. You probably would have retconned that... Oh, cars were never invented, or oh, they lost their keys when they were coming along, or oh, I don't know, you would have come up with something ridiculous. So uh, let's have a look at your stats then. Your stats this time are being given to you by Chad Manlison himself, Dave, from season four. Okay. Uh, What do you think he's given you for brains, wiles, cool, and muscle? I feel like muscle is going to be the low stat. You think that he thinks you haven't got uh, a good bod, as, <laughs> as Ellie said. A minus a minus one muscle, I think, okay. is is fairly uh, uh-huh. predictable. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> he said sadly. <laughs> <laughs> I think either brains or wilds is going to be the top. I think probably a wilds plus two. Mm-hmm. Then maybe a brains plus one and a zero cool. Okay, is that your final answer? That was my final lock the answers in. Do do do. Okay, rather predictably, muscle, he's given you a minus one. <laughs> Sorry about that. We know you're not a fighter. Um, the little weed. <laughs> no one said that. <laughs> Dave said that later on. No, he didn't. Uh, cool, zero. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
You've got it the wrong way around again. <gasps> He's given you brains two, okay. wiles one. So in this lineup, I think it's it might be dead on with Chris Buxy. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Ellie. I think she was brainy. No, I think she was more cool than brain. So yes, I think, I think you've you got... were wily. I you was wily and one. not brainy standard. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think Chris and Ellie were both were both brains. Both brains. Yeah. So I think I think you've got the same as Chris Buxy. So um you would be Dr. Claret's assistant or his <laughs> boss or something in, in the situation, I'm sure. Um I asked Dave, um, could you please give me some reasons so I can read out and entertain everybody? Um you've heard the amount that Helen wrote before. Dave simply wrote have you met Matt? <laughs> so for any of you listeners that haven't met Matt, um, that will mean nothing to you. Happy with that, though? Yeah. Yeah. As we know, in this season, uh, we got a secret gadget and we got a secret move, a signature move. Yes. So the secret gadget that you've been given by Dave is mobile telephone. <laughs> I deserve that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Matt has deep crime family connections. <laughs> Do you in real life? Um, Let's talk about um, it. Yeah, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. Hush, hush. Fair enough. Uh, Matt has deep crime family connections uh, and a phone with one button that does one thing: summon the goons. <laughs> I think that would have been really handy in this in yeah. this adventure. I think you would have been easily able to save Dave on his date with Maxine. <laughs> you would have been able to get Ellie, Ellie and I out. away amid the goon fight. Yeah, it didn't say how many goons. I like the feeling that you keep pressing the button and more and more goons just appear. It's like a Mr. Meeseeks of just like press the button and more and more of them appear. So yes, your secret uh, gadget is a mobile telephone uh, and your signature move. Dave has given you intimidating glasses push. Ooh. Matt can convince anyone of anything by staring into their soul and slowly adjusting his glasses. <laughs> oh no, I'm... Genji, uh, Gendo Ikari. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Did you realise you came across this way in front of Dave? <laughs> no. He thinks you're low muscle? Oh, that... He that thinks you're I'll intimidating? Cop, I'll cop to the low muscle. You don't need muscle because you do an intimidating glasses push. I don't feel like I'm intimidating. It's, it goes around as a meme on Twitter sometimes. Like, uh, how intimidating do you think you are on a rating of 1 to 10? Mm-hmm. Always. My Quite instinct low. is it would be very low. I disagree. I think, I think everybody rates it themselves as low. Nobody thinks they're intimidating. No, no, because it's not a nice thing to be, is it? Unless you are, a, you know, you 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 want to. I don't know. You're you're, you're a hired goon, for example. <laughs> I think that is pretty good. I think that pretty much sums you up. I think you're going to have a great time on this heist. Are you ready to get Gideon? Yes. Great. Fantastic. We have to bring him back. Uh, so that we can take down his crypto empire. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to run our own game, and me and Chris and Ellie and Dave are going to be the GMs. <laughs> we'll play the roles of Maxine and Chuck and Lulu Bagoo and everybody else, and it'll just be you against us. How does that sound? Uh, intimidating. Intimidating glasses push. There we go, folks. This has been Replay a backstage episode from Merely Roleplayers. It was created, researched and hosted by Josh Yard, and the editing, music and production were by me, Matt Boothman. If you have a question about any Merely Roleplayers production from Parallax onwards, tweet it at Merely Roleplay on Twitter, or email it to MerelyRoleplayers at gmail.com, and it could be featured in an upcoming replay episode. Merely Roleplayers is a Foggy Outline production, 
in association with Blackshaw Theatre Company. Until next time, if drama be the food of life, play on.